You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. We'll go over to Luke chapter 2. This is really unusual, so mark your calendars. I actually have a message that lines up with the holiday today, and uh, that happens about once a decade, so this is a, this is a special day here. I'm going to be reading this morning primarily from the New Living Translation. Again, we're going to Luke chapter 2. Uh, the first 20 verses of that chapter are what we typically call the Christmas story there uh, about the birth of Jesus. And I'm going to read through this, and then I want to pull out uh, a number of things here out of these verses this morning. So again, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, At that time, uh, the Roman Emperor Augustus, I brought some readers in here because I knew my contacts are not being friendly today. Oh yeah, there's printing on this page, no wonder. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken where Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, actually both Joseph and Mary were descendants of David, uh, he had to go down to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. So she was close to delivery. So as, as we all know, as they're riding down there, I just can't imagine, you know, the, the, the travel and the trips and the things that, you know, these people did. But anyway, she was... I like that from the New Living, obviously pregnant, you know. Uh, While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first son, her first child, a son, which of course, uh, I I guess I don't want to get into all that this morning, but this was, other translations will read her firstborn son. Well, that's really important in Hebrew culture and should be for us, not so much as our firstborn son, but I mean, throughout their history, the firstborn uh, and the firstborn male was always dedicated to the Lord. It was, um, that was a very special uh, dedication of that firstborn to the Lord. And the reason for that was because it spoke of Jesus being the firstborn of God, but the firstborn from among the dead. And it ties into the whole principle of first fruits and firstborn, which means that when that first, which again goes back, this is why the tithe is what it is. It is not only the tenth, it is the first tenth. And the reason is because we take that first part and we give it to the Lord, and the principle is that whatever is dedicated in that way represents the whole bunch, represents the whole family, represents the whole of the harvest, represents the whole of whatever it is you're giving as a first fruits offering. So it's it's an important idea here that this was her first child, a son. The other part of that that's not as important is this was her first child. She had other children, okay? She had, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Mary was not an eternal virgin, okay? And uh, I just say that to 
tear down some of the religious ideas that some of us grew up with. So she gave birth to her firstborn child, her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. The, the words that are used in the Greek language here, we, we have this picture of the motel was full, right? There was no room in the inn. And that's what, that's what we say. Well, there weren't any inns. There weren't any motels. There weren't any hotels. There weren't any, anything like that in a little village uh, of Bethlehem. There was nothing like that. The deal was that they were going down to their family's ancestral home, village. And so was everybody else throughout the, throughout the country. So they had a lot of family there. They had a lot of extended family. And the, the, uh, what the, the tradition, the culture was that the way that the houses were built, there was a lower room that depending on what you did would often be, uh, like for a carpenter, that's where you'd work. It was your, it was your shop. Uh, that lower level was usually where somebody worked and did things like that. And then a part of that was set apart for uh, particularly not all of your animals, but, but animals that were vulnerable in one way or another, young animals, that kind of thing. It was set apart for that. And so in a part of that area, there were feeding and watering troughs built into the walls. And um, so that's, that's where they were saying. Then on the upper level is where the family lived. And then a lot of times, either as a part of that upper, upper level or another step up, there would be a place for people to stay. When your family came or different people came, you had basically a guest room. So the Greek text here talks about that guest lodging area within the home. And it says all those were full. Why? Because there was lots of family coming in. Some of you can relate. It's Christmas time. Lots of family coming in. No more room in the inn. No more room in the back room or the upper room or, you know, whatever you might have. So that was the deal. So they ended up down in that lower room, which also had space for animals. And it had these different kinds of, you know, like feeding troughs or watering troughs. And so that's the manger that he was laid in. So in verse 8, it says, and I want, you to, I want you to really think about this this morning, of going through this experience. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, notice that word suddenly comes up again and again. The angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. The armies, what are they doing? They're praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone, I guess, what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So let's back up a little bit, uh, probably back to about verse 8, and let's uh, dig a few things out of this. First of all, when it says that the angel appeared, the first angel, I want you to think about that. So here they are out there. It is dark. It is pitch black. There are no lights. I don't know, and maybe some of you do, and that's great for you. I don't know what the phase of the moon was that night. I'm sure somebody has gone back and figured it out, and I bet there's a couple people in here that know. But anyway, let's just not worry about that. Even if it was a full moon, it was pretty darn dark out. Uh, if it was less than that, again, they're out there away from cities. It's in, the, it's in a desert area. It's going to be really dark. And it says, this angel suddenly appeared. The, the, again, the Greek text there, uh, that word appeared, it means a sudden and unexpected approach. So not only did he, this angel appear, but he appeared right there, right in their midst. He, he came right there. It, it means to suddenly come upon someone or come near someone. I mean, if you ever... I'm sure you have. Have you ever had somebody suddenly speak beside you and you didn't know they were there and you jumped and felt silly? You know, I mean, anybody's presence will do that. But here's an angel of God that does this. And it says that the glory of the Lord shined around him. And, and in this particular case, the word glory, it means a brilliant splendor or a dazzling brightness, brighter than the sun. So I don't care even if it was a full moon night. There was no snow on the ground, everybody. I mean, we've got to get some of these pictures out of our heads. But, but whatever was going on, here these, or these shepherds, they've been out there. They've done this night after night. Some of them are just kids. Some of them are older. But this is what they do. And they go out at night and they stay awake at night. And they know the stars and they know the stuff. They know the area. They know the surrounding terrain. And bam, here's this angel that appears right beside them, brilliant, brighter than the sun. This light comes on. And the scripture says they were terrified. Well, no kidding. You know, I mean, just imagine what that would have been like. Here's this being. And then he starts giving them this great message that the Messiah is being born in Bethlehem. And this is great news for all people. And so it was not only... Well, first, this angel appears. And then, I love this. This happens over and over in the scripture. What does he say? What's the first thing he says? Don't be afraid. Why do they do that? Why do they come? Just like Jesus walking through the wall and knowing that his disciples are in there after the resurrection, hiding from the Romans, afraid they're going to get hauled off and crucified. He walks through the wall and then says, don't be afraid. I think they do this just for kicks. I really do. They, you know, so that's, that's, their, that's his first message is don't be afraid. Yeah, right. You know, once my heart gets slowed down again, then I'll listen to you. But anyway, so he, so he says that, don't be afraid. And then in verse 11, 
this is actually a really powerful verse. The angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Yes, thank you for that. I bring you good news that will be of great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. From the Aramaic, the way that that reads is, he is the Lord Yahweh. He is the Lord Yahweh. He just flat out said, this baby is God. And the reason I bring that up to you is because a lot of people say that, you know, Jesus never claimed to be deity. Well, that's ridiculous. He, he did over and over and over. And the people who were listening to him wanted to kill him because they understood he was saying that he was God. And this text right here, this verse, the angel declared him to be God. This baby that's born is the Lord Yahweh. That's, a, that's an important and powerful verse. And then in, in verse 13, I love that, where it talks about that the, the armies of heaven were praising God. A vast host. You know, I always think of these angels that came as just being singers. But how many times do we see that in Scripture? Where, for example, where the Lord had his army go out, the Israeli army going out, and they put the praise people, they put the worship team out in front. And it brought confusion. There is so much power in praise. And this, this verse says, this was the host of heaven, meaning the army of heaven. And I'm thinking, so what was going on in the spirit realm? What was, I bet there were demons just plastered against the walls with the whole army of heaven showing up and, and what they're, they're not standing around in a circle with swords and spears and shields, you know, they are releasing the power of God through praise. I just, I just think that's awesome. So first of all, the one angel shows up, then this whole group shows up. And what they're saying is glory to God, meaning, meaning glory, there being a release of glory over what God is doing. Glory is going toward God, praise and adoration and awe about what he's doing. Glory to God. And so glory toward God and peace toward earth. Peace being released toward earth. And in the New Testament, whenever you have this word peace, what it means, it doesn't just mean ceasing of hostilities. You know, we watched that video. And to me, the reason, because we know the historical background of that video, that that actually happened in World War I, that on that Christmas Eve, and here are these guys out there in those trenches. I mean, that was a horrible, horrible war. Not that there's ever been one that wasn't, I guess, but horrible war. And, but on both sides, there were people who knew and honored God. And they actually stopped. They actually stopped the fighting. They actually came out. They actually greeted each other. They did everything that we just saw. And this term peace in the New Testament, it is a, it is a word that means Jesus has created a condition of peace between God and man. God's not angry with people over sin any longer. Jesus took the wrath of God on himself for every one of us. 
And every one of us who accepts that benefit from that, we will never experience the wrath of God for our sin or for the sin condition in the earth. Jesus took that on himself. So there exists this condition that we can receive when we receive him as Savior of peace between God and man. And out of that spiritual peace can come peace in relationships. Even where there's disagreement, there can be supernatural peace in relationships. And it's because of the peace that came. So the angel's declaration that night was, there is glory toward God and peace toward earth. And that was, their, that was what they were speaking. So think about these shepherds with me just for a few minutes. So here they are. These guys would have been in a situation where they would have heard the Old Testament scriptures. They would have heard the scroll of Isaiah read that talks about the coming of the Messiah. They would have heard these things. And so the whole of the nation was waiting for the Messiah to come. They were waiting at that time for Messiah to come. And here are these guys. They're out there in the field. They do this every night. They've done it all their lives. And suddenly, here are the angels proclaiming that this thing has happened. It is, it is happening right now as we speak. And they, it tells us, we've been talking about uh, stewarding over these encounters with God. Well, one of the ways they did that is as soon as the angels were done, they said, let's go look. Let's go see it. Let's go be a part of what happened. They didn't just take it as, oh, that's pretty cool. I wonder what that means. They went into town. They left their flocks. They went into town and they saw this baby. They participated in what was happening there. And it, talks, it tells us, this is just one of the places where it says that Mary treasured these things up in her heart. And I love that in the New Living. It says she, she kept them and she thought about them frequently. She thought about these things. So she had what had been spoken to her by an angel treasured in her heart. She had what had happened with Joseph and had been spoken to Joseph treasured up in her heart. She had Now she has these shepherds coming in declaring all of this, that they had seen these angels, they had told them about it, they had found them. She has all of that. She's treasuring it all up. She's, she's stewarding it. She's keeping it safe in her heart. And she's thinking about it frequently. But then it says, and this is the part that really hit me this year, then the shepherds returned to their fields. Okay, So they went back to their fields. So what was the next night like? You know, I'm sure they were <laughs> watching a little differently than they had. But think about it. It was 30 years from this day until Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit came upon him and he began his ministry. It was 30 years. That's a long time for us. It was a really long time for them. I'm sure some of these guys were long gone by then. Some of them were children at this time, were probably still alive. But I've been thinking about the fact that we don't know this. We don't have scripture that says this. But I can guarantee you, they held this in their hearts and they told this story for the rest of their lives. And the scripture over in Hebrews uh, talks to us about this idea in Hebrews chapter 4 talks to us about this idea that there were some people along the way who heard the word, but it didn't do them any good. It didn't 
change anything in their lives because they didn't mix the word that they heard with faith. They didn't put faith into it. They didn't, I mean, from what we know about faith, faith is actually birthed by hearing the word. So they didn't hold it. They didn't treasure it. And they didn't allow whatever it was they had heard to produce faith in them and in their lives. And because of that, they had a different result than other people who heard the same word, but allowed it to, they put their trust in it. These guys, we don't know what happened to them, but I, will, I, I was just asking the Lord, so how important was it in your scheme of things that these people hold this stuff in their hearts and put faith toward what the angel spoke that night? Because the next night was just a night. All this stuff happened, but the next night, they're back out there and it's dark and no angels show up. And they have to live the rest of their lives carrying that word with them in order to, to see. And we know that when Jesus was born, uh, there were people who were already waiting based on the Old Testament scriptures. They were already waiting in the temple. The day that he was brought there to be circumcised, there were people that prophesied over him, that had waited and prayed and interceded their whole lives to see the Messiah come. But I just, these, these shepherds, I'm just, you know, with every genuine encounter that we have with God, it has the potential to totally change us, totally change our lives, change our future, change what we do for the rest of our lives. And here are these guys that had this experience, and then just like us, they had this experience but it didn't come to fruition the next day. Jesus didn't walk out and start healing the sick and raising the dead. The next day, it was 30 years. And I just have to believe that for these guys, they held this and they walked with this for the rest of their lives. I can't imagine how they could go through that. And then, um, although, you know, we've heard testimonies. Justin gave us testimony of people that, had seen he was there when somebody was raised from the dead and they'd all seen that. And, and then there was, well, in his own life, he said later there was, there was doubt that came in after he got back to the United States. Did that really happen? So I guess it could, you know, you could say, did I imagine that? But my, my guess, I guess is the best I can do with it, is that they carried this thing for the rest of their lives. So I want to talk to you just a little bit on that note about how we need to be carrying what God has said. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, he, he told us, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father, which that's interesting because they see something going on in your life. They see your good deeds, but they praise your Father. So it's obvious the good deed didn't come from you. <laughs> it's just like, that's not them. That's God. And they praise the Father. But what Jesus is saying here, you know, when the scripture talks about light in this way, spiritual light, it's talking about revelation it's talking about, if we think of natural light, we think of the light in this room. We have organs in our body that were developed to use this light. 
And if your eyes aren't working, you can be in here and it can be totally light and you still won't be able to perceive things. Light allows us to evaluate and perceive life and to uh, act accordingly, to act according to what we're seeing and what we're perceiving. It allows us to not uh, drive off the road. I mean, it allows us, but you have to have two things. You have to have light and you have to have an organ adapted to use the light for that to happen. Well, in the spiritual realm, it's the same thing. Scripture says that our, our heart, our spirit is the lamp of the Lord. It, it tells us that we were designed in such a way that we can perceive spiritual illumination. We can have revelation. We can perceive things in the spirit realm. We're built that way. And, and so for us to be able to perceive things in the spiritual realm accurately, Scripture says that spiritual truth is spiritually discerned, not naturally discerned. When Jesus is talking about let your light shine, it isn't talking about just going out and trying to do good things. It's talking about allow what God has ignited on the inside of you to burn in you and, and to produce an outward life that accurately reflects that inward life. And so when we come to this time of year and we do these uh, candlelight services, you know, we're looking back on scriptures like this and where Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and then cover it up. You, you actually set it up where it can give light to everybody. And um, here just a, a, uh, Psalm 18, verse 28, it says, For you cause my lamp to be lighted and to shine. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. Already quoted it to you, Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching or lighting all of his innermost parts. And then this is the last verse I'll read to you this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus said, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your body is filled with darkness. And he makes a statement. He says, if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? He's saying, sometimes we have, we have things that we have been taught, things that we believe, things that we think are illumination in our lives, things that we think we, you know, it's talking about understanding, worldview. How do I understand things? We have, we have been taught things that are contrary to God and his ways and his person. But we think those are actually light. When we're believing something, perceiving through a lens that does not line up with God and his word, Jesus says, that's really deep darkness. Because it's worse than not having light. It's that you think that the darkness is light. And we have people all around us. All, and this, I'm not being critical. It's just a fact. We have people all around us all the time living exactly that way. And they need us to be willing to let the light of God shine out of our lives. Let his love, let his power, let his life shine out of our lives so that they can recognize, oh, that's light. What I thought was light is not light. That's light. That's what Jesus set the church to do. And so I just want to, I'm going to give you five reasons. The worship team can come up. 
they're going to lead us as we begin to get into lighting these candles. I want to give you five reasons that we do this, that we have these candlelight services. And it's a, it's a lot of symbolism in what we're doing, but I think it's important if we're going to we're going to do this. We're not just doing this because we like to light candles. I mean, it's kind of a nice thing to do. But we, I think that we can tap into this and we can, again, put faith to what we're doing and recognize what we're doing. So here they are. This lighting of candles, it symbolizes the complete breaking of darkness through the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Darkness, the kingdom of darkness was broken the day that Jesus came into the world. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's Satan's still here acting illegally. We understand all that, but his power and his authority was broken as we light these candles. It symbolizes that we're going to turn all the lights down. And even if we lit one candle in this place, it would light up the whole, the whole room. So it's that complete breaking of darkness that came through the coming of Jesus Christ. It symbolizes the method that Jesus chose to use to spread the knowledge of God over the whole earth. And that is, you know, the way that we do this is I have a couple people come up and, and we, we light one candle and then they go down the aisle and, and light the candles on the end and you light each other. This is the way Jesus set this thing up so that each individual, each individual life is lit as he comes into it and then you, in your life, in your neighborhood, in your communication with people, you light other people's candles. You bring the knowledge of God. Does that make sense to you? To other people. So we, so we see that in the way that this light spreads throughout the room. Thirdly, it symbolizes the light that each believer carries being shown to those around them. Each, we, you know, we, we enjoy this together. It symbolizes that the increase of, in, to the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. And that's why we start with one candle. We can give each a lighter and we just all light them. We start with one. And then there's this increase that goes on as we do this. And, and we know the scripture says his kingdom and his rule, it will continue to grow. There will be no end to it. And then I want this also in our hearts to symbolize a personal dedication for each of us to let our light shine in the coming year. As, you're, as we're lighting these candles and they're leading us in song, you can just pray that prayer. Lord, through this year, I want you in my life to be more evident. And, and I'm, I'm not looking for us struggling to make that happen. He didn't say make your light shine. He said, let your light shine. So I think it's a place for that personal dedication uh, to what he has for us. Does that make sense to you? Father, as we come to this time, Lord, I just pray that we'd be able to hold those things in our hearts. As we light these candles, we recognize that Jesus came into this earth and broke the darkness. And he came into our individual lives and he broke the darkness in our lives. We are so grateful for it. He said that we are the light of the world and we accept that. Lord, to ourselves, we accept that role. We accept the responsibility that goes with it. And we just pray that by your grace, your light would shine through every one of our lives. 
Father, if there are areas in our own lives that are still in darkness, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to ignite that spirit on the inside of us and shine your light into every part of our lives, Lord. Just let it dominate in every part of our lives. And we pray that as a body, Lord, we are able to ignite the fires, ignite the fires throughout our homes and our neighborhoods, and that in this year, Lord, we will see more and more and more people drawn to the light of the life of Jesus Christ and receiving what you have done for us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.